The Astrea Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book Three, The Wanderer's Curse. Chapter Eleven, in which Seafoam, Cygnus, and a longboat sail north. Walt and Adramin climbed the companionway steps up from the master's cabin of Elusive and cautiously looked out. Lanterns strung from the rigging cast pools of light onto the decks of both ships. Outside the lighted areas the shadows were even darker, and beyond the two ships' rails the harbour was invisible, save for a few dimly lit windows in houses along the shore. There was no one on deck aboard Elusive, and only a pair of men on harbour watch lounged in the lantern light aboard Cygnus. A few strides from where they stood a longboat sat in its cradle but it was lashed and stowed with its mast unstepped. Hadramin peered across to Cygnus. "'My longboat's still in the water, mast and sails in her, ready to go,' Hadramin whispered. "'She'll be lying outboard. We'll have to cross over Cygnus' deck to get to her.' "'Not if I fetch her. Can you make it on to the wharf and meet me on t'other side?' Hadramin nodded, and then watched as Walt crossed the deck, keeping to the shadows. When he neared the gangway between the ships, he climbed over the rail and vanished. At first Adramin thought he was planning to swim to the longboat, but not a splash or even a ripple disturbed the quiet night. Then he glimpsed a pair of huge hands sliding along the footboard of the gangway. They disappeared for a moment into the darkness and reappeared, attached to the outboard side of elusive scuppers, where they started to work their way around the ship. Walt was hanging from his hands and shuffling his toes along the devil plank just above the waterline, invisible to the watch, even if they had thought to look. Adramin acknowledged Walt's ingenuity and strength with a soft grunt. He crouched, held his injured hand close to his chest, and then silently made his way across the deck, down the gangplank, onto the wharf, and onto its southern eastern end, where it jutted out into the bay. There he hid behind the low windbreak, out of sight from the decks of both ships and anyone in Charton. Adramin's hand throbbed. He shivered, and wished he'd brought some of Mufrid's whisky with him, not only to dull the pain, but more importantly, to numb the deepening despair of no longer knowing who he was. All his life he had believed he was one of the family, a descendant of Zubin through Oron and Mufrid, and thus different from and superior to the sailors he commanded. He had repeated the oaths of the men of the sea so often that obedience and keeping faith were a part of his being. But he had failed in loyalty, and he had been punished. The missing finger was just a mark, a mere sign of all that he had lost, and he had brought it all upon himself. His fall from grace had been with scheming to surpass Astraea by making him seem unworthy in Oron's eyes. Then it had grown into plotting to become master of Cygnus. Stealing Mufrid's crew had been folly, but at the time he had believed in his boldness, which had soon been rewarded with an opportunity to take over Cygnus. When he heard that Mufrid was lost, it seemed to him that fortune had chosen him to be master of a fleet that he might rebuild to its former strength. Now he was less than nothing, drawn into the plans of an ugly dwarf 
who was apparently intent on destroying the man who he had thought was his father. He was becoming increasingly indebted to a mere innkeeper, who, incredibly, was part of the family to which he, the formerly acknowledged son, had never really belonged. Adramin was so intent on his own suffering that he did not hear the long-boat approach until Walt clambered onto the wharf and secured the boat's lines. "'Wait a bit,' said Walt. "'I'll be back with food and stuff.' Adramin watched as Walt disappeared down the hatch that led to the secret passage and shrugged Mufrid's spare black shark-skin jacket closer around him. Exhausted by pain and loss of blood, he could not even wonder what would happen next. He leaned against the wooden windbreak and let his eyes close. He was still asleep when Walt returned, and did not wake until the longboat was rigged and loaded, when the soft flap of sails brought him back to consciousness. "'You're all right to take the tiller?' Adramin nodded and climbed aboard the longboat not quite carefully enough. Walt heard his quick, indrawn breath, which was followed by a heartfelt oath. "'You're sure? If an innkeeper can make sail, I can helm. That's the spirit.' "'One question first. Asking's free. I may even answer. Why are you doing this? Good question. I keep asking that myself. Why did I walk out of me pub what I've put so much into? Well, it's because I saw a chance to catch up with me no good dar that never did nothing for me. On the short end of the family. But that don't mean I have to rot ashore when there's stuff I could be doing afloat like I always wanted since I was a nipper. That do for now? We have to get going. Cygnus is only waiting for high tide just afore dawn. He don't want to go aground like Mufred did. You ready? Ready as I'll ever be. Then we're shoving off. Estrella's sketches fluttered in Mufred's hands as he stood braced against the forestay, comparing them with the shoreline. Batel hovered nearby, growing increasingly uncomfortable, as Cygnus came close enough for him to see waves breaking over outlying rocks and shoals, unwilling to do more than nervously await the commander's order to go about. Mufrid took a last look at the drawings before rolling them up under one arm and striding past Batel towards the aft command position, where he gave the order for which the watch had been waiting. "'Bring her about, and smartly!' Send the navigator to my cabin. Jump to it. Below, in the forbidden room, Dabby recalculated the new course, adjusted the shipstone, and headed toward the master's cabin, expecting Mufrid to shout at him again, as he had done at every course change. To his surprise, he was greeted with approval. You brought us back to just off Spindrift's Bay, as ordered, said Mufrid as he pored over the stack of sketches. Now we head north, and soon the fun will begin. I'll be taking her in close enough to check against these drawings during the day, and standing off at night. You will bring us back each morning to where we lost sight of land the previous night. Got it? Dabby nodded. He saw that the plan would involve sleepless nights, followed by long days during which Mufrid would call on him at every course alteration, as well as whenever the wind changed. Becky would worry about him. 
he would be unable to console her, and both of them would be the prisoners of Mufrid's changeable moods. At present his father was even-tempered, even agreeable, but there was no way of predicting when he would explode into rage. Dabby knew that his navigation skills made him sufficiently necessary that he would be safer than anyone else aboard, but the fear that Becky might be the target of Mufrid's wrath drove him to a level of alertness just short of panic. What gnawed at him most was that his anxiety-driven obedience was exactly what Mufrid wanted. It had forced him to remember where Spindrift's crew had been murdered, and now it would compel him to navigate to Estrella's village, which might be the scene of more horrors. When Mufrid dismissed him, Dabby made his way towards the forbidden room, pondering Estrella's part in all that had happened. When Becky's anxious face looked through the partly open door of his cabin, he took her by the hand and led her through the metal door to the one space where they could not be followed. As he took the cover off the plotting table, he told her what would be happening for however long it took to arrive at their destination. She knew how deeply he had been affected by the fate of Spindrift, so she did not try to find out what he thought would happen next. However, the unasked question hung between them as he set about plotting the next course change. She stood in the near dark, watching the green light from the stones colour his face from below, remembering how she had felt the first time he had led her through the strange door that had no handle. The glowing stones and the mysterious shadowy room had been the strangest and most frightening place she had ever seen. Only her fear of Mufrid's ruthlessness kept her from pulling her hand from Dabby's grip as he led her through the metal door for the first time. However, many hours together had convinced her that he was in control of the strange stones, and she was no longer afraid. She'd become used to observing what he did, even bored with it, so that she relished the occasional moment when he would look up and favour her with his shy smile. It was when she was watching his face that she noticed a green gleam above his shoulder. "'Dabby, there's something glowing behind you.' He looked up, frowning, and followed her pointing finger to the shelf where the echo-stones were kept. First insulating his fingers with cloth, he brought two green stones to the plotting-table and began to roll them back and forth until they glowed strongest. "'The stones of Gianfar and Estrella,' he murmured. "'But even the two of them aren't enough. Wait a minute.' He reached under the lip of the table and felt a depression where he expected a shipstone in its protective case. Silver Spawn's stone! It's gone! Estrella must have it! Estrella! Estrella! she exclaimed, and then covered her mouth. He must have stolen it just before Walt threw him over the side. Becky! Mufrid mustn't know! What's Estrella doing? I have no idea. He must have been ashore somewhere, hidden by hills or headlands for the last few days, because I haven't seen anything since the first day of the trip south with Dramen. And now he shows up ahead of us. Do you think he can stop Mufrid from, um, doing bad things at his village? I hope so, although I don't know how. Can't you signal him? He doesn't know how. Oron never taught him. What do you expect will happen? We'll just have to wait and see. It was toward the middle of the second night when Lindy came up into the cockpit, 
Damon was rousing Cam, and Astraea was at the helm. Seafoam had a southwest wind on her port quarter, and was sailing comfortably with both main and jib sheets snubbed around cleats. The faint light of a candle in the cabin was enough for them to see each other in silhouette. Lindy rolled back her sleeve, and in the green light from her stone, Astraea saw her frown with concentration. "'It's pointing behind and to the right, um, starboard, out into the ocean. Cygnus is tacking out to sea. She'll return again to where she started when night fell.' Lindy looked questioningly at him, so Astraea explained. "'Adramin's navigating by my sketches of the shoreline. When the Molly was sailing south, we anchored each night, but Adramin won't want to risk Cygnus so close to a shore he can't see, and he doesn't want to go past the village by accident. So he's ordered a course to nowhere for the night. Soon Dabby will tell him it's time to turn, and just before dawn we should feel them pass behind us. How can you be so sure? It's as if I can see into Dabby's head. We spent days and nights in a tacking duel, all the way back from the city of the sea to you— to Charton, watching to see who would turn first, me wondering how much to tell Adramin, and Dabby doing the same with Mufred. Only now it's him not telling Adramin. Not telling Adramin what? Where we are. Dabby must know by now. If he told Adramin, then they could sail all night, following us, counting on me knowing where the village is. But he hasn't, and I'm wondering why. Astraea, he's on our side. Maybe. I hope so. At least I hope he's not fully against us, the way I thought he was when Adramin had Walt ditch me. Do you think that was all Adramin's idea? At the time, I thought it was just that they all hated me. But now I'm beginning to think that Adramin was trying to make everyone think that he was in charge. Dabby wasn't about to challenge him on anything, and that Walt was just getting ahead of all of you. Estrella nodded. I wish I could talk to Dabby now, instead of both of us trying to figure out what the other is thinking. Can't you use the stones to signal the way Arneb did at Walt's Inn, when we could both feel them sending to each other? Could Arneb do it here? I don't think so. Cygnus is a lot farther away than John was, and besides, I don't want him to try. He sounds as if he's all right, but he's still too weak to try anything that requires a serious effort. He overstrained himself getting us out of mattress. He has the trick of getting people to do what he wants, doesn't he? said Lindy. He had us out of the door, over the earthworks, and into sea foam before we knew what we were doing. Maybe she paused. Do you regret not going back? Strayer asked. No. A bit. Well... Not now that it's way too late. He was so sure, so urgent. It's as you said, he's overtaxing his strength. You saw how hard he was hit when we used the shipstone to locate Cygnus. It is over the horizon now, isn't it? She is. Can you keep your stone from pointing at her? I think so. It's easier when I'm beside you. Estrella leaned towards her, hearing more in her words than information about the stones worked. He saw her eyes close and her lips parted. He felt her breath on his lips. "'Telling secrets, are ya?' demanded Cam cheerfully as he came up the companionway. 
Estrella and Lindy both took a step back, and Seafoam yawed off course. Estrella corrected his steering, and Lindy checked the white spear at the heart of her stone. Both of them ignored Cam's chuckle. "'Steer by the stars, if you're not sure of the stone,' said Estrella. "'There's hardly any cloud tonight. Just keep the north star fine on the port bow.' "'Nearly north. I understand. Call me if—if if there's something Cam and I can't handle.' Don't worry, Estrella. Your watch below, said Adramin. He struggled out of the cocoon he had made for himself on the longboat's bottom boards, reached for the tiller, bumped into Walt in the darkness, and swore as he incautiously used his bandaged hand to steady himself. And you're thinking that you're the sailor who can stand a watch in this here boat with only one hand? "'Whereas you're the innkeeper who can sail a longboat single-handed day and night?' Walt acknowledged Adraman's reply with a grunt. "'I gotta say we'd still be in Charton if you hadn't helmed us out.' "'And I never could have rigged and made sail with only one hand. But that doesn't mean I'm going to let you drown us both because you've fallen asleep.' I can follow the ship with me finger ring what Estrella started up for me. You ain't got a stone no more. True. That's not the point. Following Cygnus is not what we should be doing. You got a better idea? Head north. We're plenty far enough offshore. But Cygnus... Cygnus can't be coasting at night, so she's taking sea room to tack out and back to wherever she last got a good look at the shoreline. There's no need for us to follow. Gives us a chance to catch up. And uh, what if she comes back at dawn and see us? We're gaff-rigged. They'll see a crab-hauling fish-boat running away from them, because that's what they expect to see. Right. You, Helm, I'll tend the sheets. They exchanged positions and soon had the longboat close-hauled, heading north. They worked together in silence, as they had from the moment they had stolen away from the wharf. When they were settled on their new course, Walt yawned prodigiously, and settled himself on the bottom boards, leaning against one of the thwarts, looking astern. A dark shape against the stars was all that he could see of Adramin, making it easier for them both to speak. "'How's your hand? I've got some whiskey here, if you like.' "'Not necessary. Later, perhaps. "'Doing something helps.' keeps me from thinking. About how you can get your ship back? Not much chance of that, and you know it. Not sure that I do. Right from the beginning you knew. You said it yourself. I'm not a master. And now I don't even have a ringstone. I'm not even a boat commander. You don't need a diddly little ring to be a first-rate sailing master. You've got the skills, the knowledge, the... I don't have a clasp, and now I never will. So, you got Debbie to do your navigation? You don't understand. Sure I do. You're smart. And if it's all about stones, you could hit me on the head and take this one. Walt held out his hand, the green stone gleaming on his finger. You don't understand. Just a minute. Wave your hand. Right. Now, what do you see? Well... I'll be jiggered. It's pointing north. All along it's pointing at Cygnus, but... Estrella! He started your stone, and his clasp is amazingly strong. 
When I first found him, I thought he had a shipstone. And he's probably got Lindy with him, too. He's strong enough for your ring to point at him. More than enough for Dabby to know he's there. Now why do you think he's taking Cygnus out into the blue water when he could just follow? He hasn't told Mufrid. He doesn't want him to know. We have to get there before my—his— father finds out. If he does, he's got to know he can't navigate without Debbie. You haven't seen Mufrid in one of his rages. He could kill Debbie and not know for hours what he'd done. Well, then, we'd better get there first. Can't say as I know what we can do when we get there, though. Got any ideas? Hadriman did not reply. When Astrea climbed into the cockpit, Lindy was at the tiller. They exchanged looks, she with pride in her increasing sailing skills, he at the pleasure of seeing her confidence. "'When the sun came up, we were a little bit further from the shore than we are now,' she said. "'Nothing but sea in all directions. Can thought we should wake you and give you the bad news that we were lost. But we decided to alter course west a bit, and then we saw land. I was so happy I got all teary-eyed. That must sound really silly to you sailors.' But what a relief it was! Every landfall is a gift, said our Ned from the companionway steps. No matter how often it happens, or how sure you are about your navigation, there's nothing quite like finding that you are where you hoped you'd be. You got that right, Neb. Cam's voice came from the foredeck, where he was standing lookout, watching for outlying rocks and reefs. Astrea followed his glance and instantly felt the thrill of recognition about which they'd been speaking, the more so because he knew exactly where they were. "'That's the widow-maker,' said Astrea, pointing at a cliff with a reef of rocks spouting at its foot. "'We've not far to go now.' "'Depressing name,' said Lindy. "'Roaring Jack named it, and then he went quiet, as if he'd let me see a weakness in him,' said Astrea. And yet earlier that day he was taking us close enough that we could see the rocks between the waves. It seemed to excite him, like he was daring himself. I thought at the time he was doing it to scare Yan. And maybe you too, Estrella? He looked at her and frowned. I wasn't afraid. I mean, at first it was all strange and scary. But I trusted him, and it seemed like fun. It was as if he was reacting to a dare. "'I told you you'd need luck if you sailed with Jack,' said Cam. "'And you had so much you gave it to him, that's for sure.' Astrea caught Arneb and Lindy exchanging glances. "'What?' he demanded. "'Well, Astrea, you make people feel sure,' she said, "'and that makes them confident.' "'What?' he asked again, this time incredulously. "'But I don't—I'm not. I, yes, you do, and yes, you are.' said Arneb. "'That goes for me, too,' said Cam. "'I saw it back there on the beach, remember? "'And when we left after the hall burned down, "'you knew what to do next,' said Lindy. "'And um, when you got us heading to your village,' said Damon, "'as he joined them in the crowded cockpit, "'we didn't have to discuss it or agree or take a vote or anything. "'And here we are.' Estrella looked from one face to the other, amazed at the difference between how he had felt at the time and what he was hearing. "'Keep an eye peeled,' 
said Arneb. Astraea gratefully focused his attention on the shoreline, and as the others fell silent he marvelled at what they had said. He thought of the occasions when he had been wrong, or missed something like Adramin's jealousy, which was later so obvious, or when his presence had led to a disaster, such as Gar's death. Lindy deliberately jostled his shoulder with hers. When he looked a question, her lips moved, and he leaned forward. "'It's just something you do,' she whispered, "'like working the stones, or painting. Don't worry about it.' Estrella shook his head, and she shoved him again. "'Tell us where we are from time to time, and get us to where we're going,' she said. "'You'll think of something when we get there.' You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit astreatrilogy.com for more about Estrella's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.